have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 6. going to be reading from verse 45 to 52. Amazing account of Jesus walking on water. Mark 6, verse 45, this is God's word. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. We know that God will bless the public reading of his word. Well, good morning again. It's great to be back with you. Thank you for another invitation, for the very warm welcome. Uh, my name, as you've heard, is Phil Dunn. I'm the full-time representative for European Mission Fellowship, EMF, here in Northern Ireland. And you can tell from the accent, I'm not from these parts. My home is Balamoney, and my home church is Balamoney Baptist. There's my confession out of the way. Please be kind to me. Uh, as a mission... EMF have been supporting uh, mission partners across Europe for 60 years. And we're supporting some 90 faithful gospel workers, mostly pastors and church planters. But what I want to do for you uh, this morning is to zoom in on one particular country and one particular family that we are supporting there. So this morning, we are off to the beautiful land of Italy. It has been described as the birthplace of Western civilization, and for good reason. This, remember, was the land of the mighty Roman Empire. This was the cradle of the Renaissance. This was a culture which flourished for centuries. It was home to some of the world's most notable military leaders, artists, explorers, theologians, and philosophers. People like, I wonder do you know any of these names, Augustus, Caligula, Nero, Thomas Aquinas, there's a few more, Christopher Columbus, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Raphael, to name but a few. And so throughout history, this famous boot-shaped peninsula has had an immeasurable impact on the world around it. Indeed, some of the world's most iconic landmarks are found here. I wonder if you've seen any of them. We've got the Colosseum, the 
Leaning Tower of Pisa, the Roman Forum, and of course, its classical villas, the Mediterranean coast, the Northern Alps, these are just glimpses of the breathtaking beauty which draw millions of tourists every single year. So Italy then is a fascinating country. It's awash with rich, colorful history filled with spectacular scenery, and it's home to over 60 million charming, warm-hearted, and passionate people. But sadly, friends, Italy is also a land shrouded in deep spiritual now, to grasp the scale of the spiritual needs here, we need a little more background and context. Back in New Testament times, Rome was the very center of the world. It was, if you like, the capital of its day. And, and in time, a vibrant Christian witness developed. The Apostle Paul penned probably his greatest letter of all to the Roman church back in AD 57. What happened next was a period of intense persecution. Sadly, many Christians would give their lives for the sake of the gospel, some taken to that very Colosseum and simply thrown to the lions. Soon, however, Christianity became institutionalized and was to a large extent suffocated by tradition and superstition. Scripture was no longer the authority. In its place came tradition, processions, pilgrimages, indulgences, relics, and candles. Uh, yes, there have always been very small groups of believers in Italy, like the Waldensian Church, which developed in the northwest of the land in the 12th century, yet it too suffered centuries of unspeakable persecution. And what about the mighty 16th century Protestant Reformation led by Martin Luther and others? Sadly, friends, unlike many other European countries, the Reformation did not penetrate Italy. It stopped at the Alps. And since that time, friends, Italy has never experienced any major spiritual revival. So that's the rather bleak background. That's the history. But what is the spiritual condition like in Italy today? Good question. Well, one religion, the religion of Roman Catholicism, continues to dominate. Rome remains the headquarters of the 1.2 billion strong Roman Catholic Church. The current Pope and head of the Roman Church, Pope Francis, he continues to lead and govern from here. And Roman Catholicism continues to have a powerful presence in almost every city, town, and village in the land. In fact, over 80% of Italians identify as Roman Catholic. It's a huge percentage. So of the 61 million people living in Italy today, almost 50 million are Roman Catholic. Yet, the striking fact is this, friends. Catholicism in Italy is struggling. For many, they become disillusioned by Roman Catholicism. And for them, religion is now irrelevant. 
It's outdated. It's insignificant. In fact, some research shows that only 15% of Italian Catholics faithfully practice their faith. The vast majority, you see, they, they see it as part of their cultural identity rather than a personal belief. So to be Italian is to be Catholic, but often it doesn't mean anything more than that. So for many, secularism, materialism, that is the mindset, particularly of Italy's younger generation. However, it's also true that having lost faith in the Catholic Church, millions of Italians have begun looking for answers elsewhere. But they're looking in all the wrong places. So Islam is now the second religion in Italy at almost 4%. Still others are turning instead to Eastern mysticism and New Age practices. This is remarkable in contrast to approximately 50,000 Roman Catholic priests. There are now over 150,000 practicing soothsayers, faith healers, and fortune tellers in Italy. Three times as many. That is paganism, pure and simple. So when you stand back and you put all this together then, it is a tragic picture. Whether it's faith in a false, empty religion, or spiritual indifference and materialism, or the pursuit of paganism, millions of Italians have been cut off from God. They are slaves to their sin. And they are destined. So, what about evangelical Christianity in Italy? That is a, another crucial question. But friends, the sad reality is this, that only around 1% of evangelicals claim to be evangelical. Indeed, many of the remaining 99% may not even know a single Bible-believing Christian. Isn't that remarkable? Over 70% of Italian cities and towns have no evangelical witness whatsoever, let alone vibrant gospel churches. Added to this, many of the churches which do exist in Italy tend to be very weak, very wobbly theologically, and also very prone to dividing and splitting apart. Given all this, then, it's no wonder Italy has been referred to as the graveyard missionaries. But, that's the bad news. The good news is this. The gospel is still the power of God for salvation. Our God has not changed. He is still on his throne. His son is still working and building his church and the Holy Spirit is still present. And so at EMF we believe there's never been a greater time to reach out into this great historic land. And right now. And so, we are supporting several missionaries in Italy. Almost all of them across Europe are nationals, so people working in their own countries, so Italians working in Italy. And so let me introduce you then to one of the national couples that we are supporting there. Meet Antonio and Anna de Noia. Antonio and Anna de Noia, a really lovely couple. And it's fair to say that Antonio is quite a character. In fact, I would say he's one of EMF's most distinctive missionaries. He was a professional chef 
for over 30 years. Something I should not have told my wife before he came to stay with us for a week. And you imagine the panic. He rises at 4.30 every morning, spends two hours studying, then goes off for his five-mile run, after which he comes home and starts working. When he was overstaying with us, he kindly invited me out on his early morning run, and you guess that I kindly declined. Now, he's got a wonderful story of salvation. I don't have time to tell you this morning. Perhaps over coffee I can tell you a little bit about that, but I want to tell you about his ministry because he's serving the Lord in wonderful ways. He is a pastor, he's a church planter, and he's an author. But first things first, where are they located? Well, Antonio and Anna, they live and serve in the southeast of Italy in the region called Gargano. Their town is called Pescici, and Pescici is a stunningly beautiful little town right on the edge of the Adriatic coast. Have a look at these doesn't that put you in the mood for your holidays? Scenery, the beaches, the quaint narrow streets, mean tourists flock here from all over the world. It's normally a small town with about 5,000 residents, but in the summer months this explodes to over 100,000 people. It's a great place to share the gospel. And that's what Antonio has been doing. In fact, it was as a result of his personal evangelistic efforts that a little group of believers began to meet together in the town. And in 1992, a church was formed with Antonio becoming its pastor the following year. And he continues there to this very day. Same time, same church, preaching, witnessing, serving the Lord with tremendous tenacity. And the little church began with just six believers. Today, praise the Lord, there are some 30 believers. No, it's not a massive church, is it? But, friends, it's there. And they are united. And they're committed to the solid preaching of God's word. And they're passionate about reaching the rest of their time with the good news. But, you know, once a church planter, always a church planter. And so a few years back, Antonio began working in two other towns. And so he began holding home Bible studies with a little group of people in a town called Vico. It's about 10 miles further inland, a place with no gospel witness at all. Today, there's a little church meeting with some 25 believers. More recently, he's been working in another town called Viest. It's about 15 miles further down the coast. Again, a place in complete spiritual darkness. Today, praise the Lord, there's a little church with some 15 believers. Doesn't that thrill your heart? Praise God for his so great salvation. Praise God for these three little flickering gospel lights in the midst of tremendous darkness. Would you pray for them? Would you pray that they would remain God-centered, gospel-driven, and theologically solid? That many would be added to the kingdom and to their little church. That's a little bit about Antonio's pastoral work. He's also a gifted author. You see, there is a colossal need for Christian books, good Christian books, in Italian. 
And friends, if the church in Italy is ever to grow, if it's ever to mature, then it's vital that good resources are produced in Italian. And Antonio is doing all he can in this regard. To date, he has written no less than 20 books. These include Bible commentaries, devotional books, books on evangelism, and even books for children. And the latest book he has just finished is the biggest one to date. It's a catechism. 301 questions, 301 answers designed especially for Italians. There really is nothing quite like this in Italy at present. It was a mammoth undertaking. It took Antonio 10 years to complete. Until recently, we were only able to get one copy printed, but with the help of EMF supporters, people like you, we've been able to get 500 of these books printed. Isn't that exciting? Can you imagine how God will use and bless resources like this? Would you pray that as these books are being spread right across the land, many individuals and indeed whole churches would be impacted, edified, and strengthened? Now, alongside the huge workload of a very wide-ranging ministry, Antonio is also a carer for his wife, Anna. Over the years, Anna has struggled with very serious depression. In fact, there were numerous occasions when it was so severe that she had to be admitted to hospital. Sadly, in more recent times, Anna has also been diagnosed with bone cancer. This, as you can imagine, was a terrible blow for them. It's a very painful kind of cancer. And Anna now struggles even with basic mobility. And so Antonio takes her to the hospital every other day so she can receive her treatment. And remember, in Italy, like Romania, there's no NHS, so most of the medication has to be paid for. There's financial pressure here as well. Thankfully, over the last year, Anna's depression has lifted, and for that, they are rejoicing in the Lord. But would you pray that God would keep the depression at bay? And pray that God would give them grace and strength for each day that they battle with her cancer. It's not easy. It's a real struggle. But through it all, the Lord is helping. The Lord is with her. He's true to his promises. So what you have here is a great couple doing great gospel work in a really needy land. But they're finding the going tough. Perhaps you could commit to praying for them once a day or once a week. We'd love for you to do that. Please take one of their little leaflets, these goldy colored ones. You'll find them on the table as you leave. That will summarize the main details. You can sign up on the little sign-up sheet and you'll receive their prayer letters. And they come out four times a year. You'll not be bombarded with information just enough to keep you up to speed so you can pray intelligently. And you can also receive our little... Vision Magazine, this will give you a broader overview of Europe and their particular needs and challenges. Again, sign up for that. comes out three times a year. So pray. You can also also give. Why not take one of the little standing order forms and give a small amount to help us as a mission, to keep helping and supporting great gospel workers like Antonio. 
Or perhaps as a church, you might even consider entering into a partnership with one of our missionary couples. Uh, we've been working very hard amongst churches here in Northern Ireland and across the UK to see the benefits and blessings of linking up with one specific church in one specific country. Bring so many rewards. We'd love for you to think more about that. Take one of these little pamphlets as you be. Please do whatever the Lord lays in your heart. Praying, giving, partnering. Help us to spread the gospel. These are some of the other ways you can follow us. There's our nice new website, Facebook, Twitter, and we're on YouTube as well. Well, I'll be around if you have any questions afterwards. If you want to discuss things, please do come and see me after the service. But for now, let's turn our attention back to God's Word. Just briefly to that portion that we read earlier, to Mark chapter 6 and verse 45 to 52. We need to get our bearings here, of course. Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000. And he's dismissed the crowds, and he sent his disciples off sailing towards Bethsaida without him. We learn from this passage and the other two Gospels in which the story is recorded that it is evening time. The sun has set when suddenly a violent storm erupts. So picture the sea. The wind is howling. The sea is raging. The spray is lashing in over the little boat. The disciples, their backs are breaking. Their muscles are burning as they wrestle with the oars, trying desperately to stay afloat. Now, it's helpful to remember that this was not, in fact, the first time the disciples had found themselves in this kind of terrible situation. Back in chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel, they had to face a similar storm. But there's one major difference between these two events. Back in chapter 4, Jesus was with them. This time, they are without him. So for at least six long, harrowing hours, the disciples are alone at sea. Frightened, surely exhausted, and undoubtedly bewildered. Where was Jesus? Didn't he care for them? Has he forgotten them? Has he abandoned them? Perhaps this morning you too are experiencing a storm. But perhaps, as you reflect on your life, it's fairly calm. It's pretty peaceful overall. However, friends, you are most certainly living in stormy days. These are remarkable times we're living in, aren't they? Politically, morally, socially, at every level we see trouble and turmoil. Think about our land. Think about our continent. The stampede towards secularism. The unparalleled shifts in population. The rapid rise of Islam. The spread of atheism. The loss of our Christian heritage. The attacks upon freedom of speech and freedom of conscience. Then there's the same-sex agenda, the transgender revolution, the demand for abortion, and on and on and on it goes. 
And it's not only the scale of the changes taking place, is it? It's the eye-watering speed of it all. I've got three kids back home, and I think to myself, the world they are growing up in is completely different to the one that I grew up in. It appears like we're entering an entirely new and altogether strange world. A world where we who are believers are being increasingly marginalized, ostracized, and opposed. It is true. For the church here today, the storms around us are raging. And perhaps we've begun to wonder, where is Jesus in all of this? Doesn't he see what we're facing? Has he forgotten us? Has he abandoned us? Well, the drama for the disciples continues. It's now just before dawn when Jesus does what no one had done before or since. Verse 48, he went out to them walking on the lake. Walking perhaps several miles in pitch black darkness, through the swirling wind, the stinging spray, the raging waves, our Lord makes his way to his disciples. And let there be no doubt here, the language Mark uses is very clear. Jesus walked literally on top of the water. None of this silliness about him finding a hidden sandbank by which he was able to deceive the disciples. No, Mark tells us he wasn't walking under the water. He wasn't wading through the water. He was on the water. Pause for a moment. Let that percolate in your mind. Isn't that amazing? Jesus walking on water. Now the reason he could do this is very important because it shows us that he is king of creation, and he is Lord of all glory. Now, the disciples, they ought to have got this. They ought to have recognized who Jesus was by this point. I just think for a moment about the events they had already witnessed with their very own eyes. You've already mentioned chapter 4, where Jesus calmed that different storm. You remember, peace be still, and the storm was calm. And on witnessing that, the disciples should have recalled a verse like Psalm 89, verse 9, where, speaking of the Lord, it says, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. So they should have remembered that. What comes next? Next comes the feeding of the 5,000. Five loaves, two fish, another amazing miracle. And on witnessing that, the disciples should have cast their mind back to their forefathers. Wandering through the wilderness, being fed with what? With manna, bread from heaven. They should have remembered that. And here now in our passage, Jesus is walking on water. And they should have called to mind a verse like Job 9, verse 8, which says, He, that's God alone, stretches the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Now, join up the dots here. God calms the sea. Jesus calms the sea. God provides bread from heaven. Jesus provides bread. 
God strides the waves. Jesus strides the waves. Do you see? Every word, every action has been a steady unveiling of who Jesus really is. None other than the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. Sadly, the disciples don't get it, do they? Not yet. They will in time, but verse 49, they think the figure walking on the waves toward them is some kind of ghost or demonic being, and so they scream, they shriek in utter terror. Mercifully, the Lord doesn't leave them shaking very long, does he? I love this. Verse 50, immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid merciful Savior is Jesus. He doesn't condemn them. No, he comforts them. But don't miss how he does this in verse 50. He says, it is I. In the original, that can be translated, I am. Take courage, Jesus says, I am. And you'll know this is the sacred name for This was the very name God had used with Moses when he was at the burning bush, you remember? You see what Jesus is doing? He's claiming for himself the very name of Almighty God. And friends, here's the encouragement. The great I Am who promised to be with Moses wherever he went is the same I Am in Jesus who promises to be with us even to the end of the age. And so in the midst of all the chaos and upheaval going on around us, we the people of God must remember He has not forgotten us. He has not abandoned us. No, He's with us by His Spirit. And be assured, our Savior is sovereign. He is high above the heavens, at the right hand of his Father, enthroned with all power and all authority. And he rules and he reigns over every molecule in the universe. He rules and he reigns over empires, over nations, over governments, over kings and their kingdoms. He even rules over Brexit. Isn't that good news? You see, he rules and he reigns over the storms of life and over the storms of history. He is the king of creation. He is the lord of all good. His power is infinite. His love is eternal, and His people are precious. So, my friends, let me encourage you very simply. Don't panic. Don't lose heart. Don't give up and cower away. No, let's be confident. Let's be steadfast. Yes, The days are difficult, and the storms are raging. But remember, 
Jesus, mighty Jesus, is reigning. Isn't that good news? May God bless his word.